Welcome back to another episode of Bodies by Brent. I am your host, Brent Ruska. This episode, you're going to want to stay tuned all the way to the very end. This is a life-changing story. Warning, this episode dives into heavy real-life trauma and may be disturbing to some listeners. This episode of Bodies by Brent will have you questioning how to heal your unconscious traumas of the past. Our guest, Olivia, is culinary trained, wellness entrepreneur, trauma-informed coach, healer, speaker, and boxing coach. She never realized that as a boxing coach at her Box and Flow studio in New York, she was sharing the exact advice she needed to hear. Liv shares her story of answering the call of plant medicine in her life and how that led her to uncovering hidden traumas from the past and how it all started in Janis Joplin's old apartment at the Chelsea Hotel. She shares what she has done to integrate these harsh realities and what she's been able to do to reclaim was what was once taken from her. On this episode, Livy shares the forgotten secret that can help heal trauma, how to flow through the fight, the need for duality in life to establish balance, and that everything we need is inside us and how you can uncover that and so much more. Can't wait for you guys to dive into this episode. Please share it with somebody you think will get a lot out of it. Please follow and leave a five-star review. And if you want episodes directly sent to you, Simply text 512-488-4223. Again, that's 512-488-4223. You'll get podcasts directly text right to you so you never miss an episode. All right, guys, let's jump into it. Before we jump into this episode, I have to give you an update on my coffee bonanza. I have successfully lowered my caffeine intake. I'm not completely off, but I'm only on like 40 milligrams, which is so, so much less. And what's been helping me a lot is Athletic Greens and my Aura Ring. Aura Ring gives you feedback on your sleep. I've been averaging averaging about 6.5 hours, and I can tell that that is a big reason why I don't feel great and I've been using caffeine to mask. What I recommend is finding a tool, whether it's an Apple Watch, an Aura Ring, or a Whoop, and tracking your sleep. It becomes very motivational because that negative feedback eventually builds pressure to motivate you to create change. And it gives you feedback of like, if you have a couple drinks at night or you're drinking too much caffeine or how much caffeine affects your ability to get good quality sleep. Because I haven't been getting good quality sleep, I haven't been able to train as much as I want. Training often gives me joy, gives me creativity, gives me good health. And that is the fundamental first pillar that you need to dial in. And if you don't, you're not able to really track your sleep and you're only doing it subjectively, it's not very helpful. Now, if you feel great and you wake up and you're like, yeah, life's awesome. Great. You don't need it. You don't need any help. You can move on to figuring other things out in your health and wellness journey. But if your sleep is suffering, you need to get that figured out. The longer you go without good sleep, the more your health deteriorates. Especially as you get older, it starts to affect your heart and your brain. Two things that you fucking need, right? In addition to that, I started taking AG1 a couple months ago, and it has made such an impact on my gut health. So now, like when I eat bacon, you get that real greasy, acidic gut, which I love eating bacon. Instantly, as soon as I drink that Athletic Greens, it just knocks out any of that acidity. I don't have to take an antacid or anything like that. And it's great because it's cheaper than buying a bunch of different supplements. It's an all-in-one nutritional insurance policy. So I highly recommend purchasing Athletic Greens to help you get that gut health, get your acidity down, feel good, gives you energy without having to drink a bunch of caffeine and coffee. Especially if you're getting off coffee, you're just going to notice your mood be different because having that acidity may be upsetting your stomach and you're so used to having an upset stomach, you don't realize how it's affecting your mood. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, which is super important. I've lived in Texas. Uh, When I was living here, the first six months, it was always in the sun and I still had low vitamin D levels. So you still need to be taking your vitamin D. Plus, you get five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash bodies by Brent. Again, go to athleticgreens.com slash bodies by Brent 
And you can take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance policy. Let's get into this episode. Olivia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. When did you move to Austin? I moved to Austin officially January 27, 2021. Wow. So you've been here for how long? About a year and plus, a quarter, year and a quarter. So then what brought you to Austin? So, I mean, the short of it is I, I guess there is no short of it. Anyways, I grew up in Miami Beach. I moved to New York uh, to go to culinary school after college. And I wanted to get into food writing. So I ended up working at Food and Wine Magazine and then going in-house for a celebrity chef, started as his personal assistant when I was 23, and then went in-house, took on the PR and marketing and and opened 18 restaurants globally for seven years. Wow. Which was like a really nice chapter in lovely New York City bubble and fun. And um, sort of in that journey, I realized that I am an entrepreneur and that I was meant to be creating for myself and for others, like through something that really inspired me. As much as I speak to food and I think, you know, food is nourishment and so much a reflection of how we treat ourselves, similar to how we move, right? And how we relate to ourselves. And in my story, I started practicing yoga when I was 15 and I started boxing when I was 20. What led you to yoga? Ah, I was so, it was in so much pain. Uh, not knowing at the time, just like severe trauma. And it was the one place that I think I found self-soothing instead of self-sabotage, even though it was like Bikram and 110 degrees and I was wearing layers of clothes and staring at my imperfections in the mirror, but it was still more for me than against me. And then, I mean, I'm sure we can go, we'll go through that whole journey, but to answer your question, not totally circumvent you. I also started boxing five years later and I got to boxing differently, but I sort of saw the balance in both from my culinary sort of occupation in New York city. I realized I was an entrepreneur. I wanted to create something and I really wanted to create the feeling that I'd gotten since I was 15, 20 of this balanced empowerment, which I found every day through hitting the boxing bag, feeling confident and slowing down through my yoga practice to reconnect to my body and my heart. So all the things, open studios, and then COVID hit. And I opened my second studio uh, three weeks before shutdown. And my second studio being 3,000 square feet in the middle of Soho, my dream everything. Because prior, my first studio was 1,500 square feet a dungeon. Like I painted the walls, hung bags up, never had taught a class before. So this progression of like the ideal dream space happened and then the world shut down. Wow. How long did you have your first studio? Uh, I opened November, 2016. So about three and a half, four years. COVID hit, shut down and everything went online, which is interesting. I moved back home to Miami beach to sort of teach zoom classes from a sunny place and not a small apartment. And New York wasn't opening up. There was nothing happening. So from March to June, I did that. And then I went back to New York and was like, how can I save this? So I changed the business model, hired a COO, was like, let's figure out the franchising thing. And New York still wasn't opening. And simultaneously, in my personal life, Olivia wasn't opening. (laughs) Like I was dating somebody and I just always felt like I was running into a wall somewhere. Something was always stuck for me, whether it was the stuckness in the business. Everything I was experiencing was fight, not flow. A lot of resistance. Constant resistance and resistance that was, you know, like rooted in my own being, but resistance that showed up manifested in my business, in my relationships, uh, in my body. And it got to a point where like, I never thought I would leave New York ever. I'd started this business. The business was the biggest commitment I'd ever made, like signing a lease, tying myself to somewhere. I guess it was uh, November-ish of 2020 and a friend had said, hey, come to Austin. You've never been here. Or I actually had been here once to teach a pop-up for South by Southwest a couple of years prior. But she was like, hey, come, you know, like come see it. And I was like, okay, great. So I jumped on a plane. I came, had a great weekend. During that weekend, we threw a dinner party and I was sitting around the fire next to some guy and making conversation like, what's up? What do you do? And he's like, you mean for work? <laughs> and I looked at him and I was like, okay, like I got it. Like, this is it. 
because my whole life has been defined by doing, you know, it has been defined by external to the extent that like, I really never got to know myself aside from like the things and the titles and the job descriptions and the boyfriends and the family and where I'm from. And that was just such a moment of, this is an opportunity to, to not be all the things that you've thought you were. So I flew back to New York city took a second to settle. I'd just gone through this breakup and I was like, you know, if I'm actually thinking about moving to Austin and closing everything and, you know, whatever, I'm going to take an Airbnb for 10 days and and live there, see what it feels like, grocery shop, like not make plans every night. So I did that for 10 days. And on my 10th day, I looked at two apartments. I flew back to New York City, broke my lease, closed my businesses sold most of my clothes and and moved to Austin to the first apartment I saw. Dang. Yeah. How has life changed for you being here? Nothing is the same. Nothing. Nothing is the same except my heart has always been the same. As you were mentioning in the beginning, you started yoga and boxing because you had been experiencing a lot of trauma. Can you speak about that? Yeah. So I started yoga because I was deeply dissociated. I didn't know what that word meant until a year and a half ago. I didn't know that I was in so much pain. And when you mean pain, what do you describe? Like, what were you experiencing? Just depression, sadness, unworthiness, reaching out to everything else to fill the empty that I was feeling. But I didn't have the language for any of this because at the same time, I grew up in a beautiful, privileged, loving home with three brothers and married parents that are still married and everything I could ever want materialistically, great schools, everything, you know, you could to look at me and be like, like, how could she be upset about anything? And I think I didn't actually understand the depth of my, my feelings. Mm -hmm. And I didn't consciously remember why I was in pain. So, um, so starting yoga was the first Yeah, it was knowing you were in pain. Well, no, it wasn't. It was like now understanding because now in, I guess, I guess you could say that I'm just, I would say I'm 35 years old, but actually I'm one and a half. So prior to moving to Austin in 2021, I was dating a man who was older than I was and he had experienced PTSD because he grew up in wartime Lebanon and he got very heavily involved in MAPS and MDMA assisted psychotherapy. So we started dating around June, 2020 during this whole pandemic shutdown, et cetera. And I wasn't really honoring myself in this. I was seeking advice from someone who was giving advice from their place, not mine, instead of trusting myself. So again, this self-sabotage of not honoring myself. But um, we had a relationship for the reason. And the reason was he introduced me to this world of healing through medicine. I had never done a drug besides smoke some weed. I think that subconsciously I knew that this would be what saved me. Um, literally saved my life, psychedelic assisted therapy, but I was never drawn to cocaine or ecstasy or mushrooms. Like I'm a control freak. And at the same time, like I love a martini or a glass of wine, et cetera. But I also think that alcohol also led to a lot of the traumas I've experienced. All that to say, I met him in June, 2020. We started dating. The first time we were intimate, very simply, he, after he said to me, did something happen to you? And this was when I was 30, 33, 34, I was 34 years old. By the time my mom was 34 years old, she had four children. Like, so, I mean, age is is but a number. And I'm so grateful that I'm here and speaking from a place of knowing myself and learning myself and healing myself. With that said, I've just finally also admitted to myself that he asked me that question on our third date. And what I haven't admitted, and I write and I write a blog and I'm working on a book proposal, but I hadn't yet admitted that on this third date, he didn't want to take me back downtown home. He drove me to his apartment on the Upper East Side. And I, because what happens is in trauma is you freeze and you lose your voice. And again, I'm one and a half years old, really. And I'm just learning my voice again. But at the time, two years ago, I didn't say like, no, I want to go home, take me home. 
So I allowed him to lead. And in that experience of intimacy, and I was like, I'm not ready to have sex with you. Like, you know, these were the conversations, but I dissociated because that's what my body knew how to do to protect me since I was four years old. So because of this experience with him, and I'm glad that it happened because it opened up this world of of new conversations with myself and with other people, but it led me down this path of first being so defensive of like, what do you mean? Did something happen to me? Like, no, what are you talking about? And then that self inquiry of like, holy shit, did something happen to me? Um, because you know, it wasn't right. And I didn't admit to him like, no, I wasn't ready. And I told you I wasn't ready. And I didn't tell you to take me home. And like, I don't know why I don't have these words. These are, this is what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. So, from that moment, it sort of opened up this like, okay, did something happen? If something happened, what what was it? What is it? And because of his involvement or his, you know, experience with plant medicine, it just, it became a conversation. And I think once you start having that conversation, I believe, and I don't know in your experience, but like the medicine calls you. I didn't look for it. Mm-hmm. To the extent that like, I think a week later I was getting a colonic. I'm all, I think like just like healing everything, gut. I mean, we carry so much in our gut, in our psyche, et cetera, in our bodies, in our joints. So I'm getting a clonic and my friend Cassie, who's always a little wacky, is talking about uh, Bufo. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And she, you know, she's funny. And I was intrigued. And I was like, you know, I, I feel like I feel like there's something knocking on my door. I don't know what it is. There's something for me. And I'm, I'm finally ready. And she's like, Bufo, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, is that the toad thing? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so wacky. I was having dinner with this like crazy celebrity Australian chef two years prior, this Korean omakase place with like 12 people. And he was talking about licking the toad. And two years prior, I was like, this guy is fucking nuts. But like, I love it. You <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> like we're like making out at this omakase cat. It was ridiculous. Like one of those ridiculous nights. And I think my biggest takeaway from that was like, Okay, he licked the toad, he saw God, all the things. And so she said Bufo, I said toad, I connect the dots and I was like, how, where? Just tell me. She's like, well, my shaman, he's like never really in town. All while I'm getting colonic. (laughs) I'm like, he's never in town, but like here's his number, try. And I was like, okay. So I get home, I put the card on my coffee table. I'm like, we doing this? We doing, we're doing this, okay. Text the guy, texts me right back. I'm just coming back from a sabbatical in New Mexico for like six months. Are you around this weekend? And I'm like, okay, I got, I I hear you. Like, let's go. So I showed up at Janice Joplin's old apartment in the Chelsea hotel. And I had no idea what I was getting into except reading some like Forbes articles. Um, and before, I mean, he said a prayer before we even started and before he even started, I started to cry. It was just this massive release. And uh, I'm not a smoker, you know? So I smoked a little and I started coughing and like, you know, you want to get in your lungs, you want it to happen. So I smoked a little more and it was just like, fell back into the abyss of like wild imagery and also confusion because nothing made sense. I literally went to like the nth degree for the first time I ever, you know, went to look inside of myself. So, because if you aren't familiar with 5-MeO DMT, it literally, it it's the DMT is, I think you can probably correct me on this, but it's also found in ayahuasca, but it's, it's um, part of, it's a molecule that your brain secretes before you die. Mm-hmm. So I always say like, you smoke the toad and you die. Don't really die, but you know, your ego dies, a part of your ego dies. And um, pieces of you that you no longer need die with you, with that. And I think the awakening from that is like lightness, lighterness of um, operating less from all of these masks and costumes and everything I've carried my whole life. And just like from a pure place of like who I was before all of this trauma started happening, which reality is for me, the purest Olivia was one to three, ages one to three. Mm-hmm. So That's from why inner child work is so important. Yeah. I want to just jump back to something real quick and then we can go. Was there anything that happened in your childhood that caused the trauma? Or was it just you just never developed tools to understand what you were feeling and then over time just built masks and walls and disconnection from that one to three-year-old? 
it was, it sounds silly, but it's just how I phrase it, a series of unfortunate events. So I was raped when I was four for the first time. And I mean, even I, I still like those words to me are just like they're, they're charged, they're less charged than they were. Mm-hmm. But in that experience, my voice was taken from me. My body was taken from me. So especially in this idea of intimacy, if the first time that you're, you have sexual intimacy, your face is covered, your voice is taken away and your body is taken. I, what I've learned, what I've come to learn is that my body then and my mind came to think of sex as something that is just, it's something that happens to you. You don't have a voice in it. You don't have a say in it. And there's certainly no pleasure in it. It's just mm-hmm. there. And in that dissociation, like from that moment on, I was no longer in my body. Makes sense. And because of that happening at four, you know, they say perpetrators can smell victims. So, you know, assaults that happened from a teacher when I was five or in other situations as I got older, I was... I was chosen, if you will, because I also didn't have a voice. I didn't have the sovereignty to say stop. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the language. And then um, sort of kept happening. And in pretty unfortunate circumstances, like when I was 13 with a friend's stepfather and who, who always scared me. I didn't know why he scared me. Mm. But in that time in my life when I was developing and like, you know, I always had really not regular periods because when I was becoming a woman, I was raped. And so that trauma stayed in my body. So I'm saying these stories and just sharing them. But at the same time, this is to say that I didn't consciously remember any of this until I started psychedelic assisted therapy, September, 2020. And in that first, or I did, so I did this DMT. What happened was I started seeing images of faces and people Mm -hmm that have been relevant in my life, but I didn't know why, like, why were, why was I seeing these faces? What were these feelings? I was clutching my solar plexus, which is, you know, one of the chakras and DMT also, it's like known to clear your chakras and the solar plexus in particular, it's represented by the color yellow and it, it speaks to self-confidence and self-worth. So literally in this 20 minute psychoactive experience, I'm seeing all these faces and places and yellow. And I'm clutching my solar plexus because for my entire life, I've never felt worthy because of all of these faces and places that had been, you know, that had taken parts of me that I, you know, left parts of me. Mm -hmm. So this didn't make sense. None of it. None of it made sense. I walked out. It was just like a whirlwind. Hard to process, I imagine. And like no tools to process it. And very few people to talk to to understand this. And... Which is a very important piece of psychedelic psychedelics in general is having support to be able to process the after the integration piece is so important or else you can open all this stuff up to someone and maybe even re-traumatize them because now it sounds like you're walking around. You're like, now what the fuck? And in that, I actually think the integration is is the work, you know, the medicine, it opens up parts of you and allows you to see memories, you know, with more love and a boost of serotonin and. Uh, a grounded knowing or understanding, but really the understanding comes when you you work these things into your life. So I had no idea what's going on. Seven days later, I was, or a couple days later, because I had said like I'm, I don't even know what this means. Um, I was invited to a sound ceremony that was 25 people in a room in Brooklyn and with like MDMA and mushrooms, and I was like, I'm good. Like I'm good. And then I was like, you know, maybe this is here for a reason. Mm -hmm. So I showed up alone, 25 strangers with like a pillow and a yoga mat. Started at five. On my way in, I used the restroom before and there was like this sort of warm lighting and candles lit. And I was walking out of the bathroom and I saw my reflection for the first time, I think ever. And all I could hear like from my intuition was you're beautiful, no matter what you're beautiful. And I don't think I've ever spoken to myself that way. Mm-hmm. I never came from a place of, of worthy. And I laid down, put the eye mask on. It was this really beautiful experience. 
And at the same time, so much of this is about surrender, right? And Mm -hmm. it was happening, it was starting, and my anxiety just like was like, get me out of here, like freak out. And then, you know, I, I coach myself, like I've coached so many people, you know, just like, you're, you're okay. You're okay. And Mm -hmm. once I let go just right at the, like right at the surface was like blank raped you when you were 17. And that's why you've always had this recurring memory of waking up in a shower at a high school party in senior year Mm -hmm. naked. And my, it was my best friend's father. This was the first thing that I remembered all of these memories, they, they were in me and they came to me strangely, but there was nothing connected. I didn't know what they were leading to. It was just like, I've always remembered waking up in a shower naked at my friend's house while my entire senior class was partying outside. But like, why was I there? And everything just started flooding back from there. And it was like, okay, well this happened to you when you were 17 and that's why you dated him. Because I think the, the sadness that I've carried through this is that because of these series of unfortunate events, you know, my life was thrown off in a way, not to say that everything doesn't happen for a reason, because I do believe it does. And I do believe that now all of these traumas are gifts that have given me incredible resilience. Mm-hmm. But I chose men that were literal doppelgangers of the perpetrators. Wow. I dated, be it the same name and the same birthday. I went back my went back, my psyche went back to what my body knew. And that's been the hardest part for me to digest Mm. because this idea of intimacy or love or connection was really taken from me before I even had it. Mm -hmm. So this also, you know, the potential of close friendships, trusting people, not pushing people away, not pushing myself away. I was never capable of any of that. Mm. So that's also part of like becoming an entrepreneur. Like I can do it myself. Mm-hmm. not accepting help, not asking for help, like becoming a fighter, becoming this hard, hard, hard shell because uh, that's what I did because I thought, you know, I needed to protect, protect myself. And regardless, even after starting in box, I couldn't protect myself because, you know, even in college, I just uncovered like a pretty severe trauma that was worse than I had ever even thought the other ones were. And it's not about the things that happen. It's about now seeing my life from a place of whole and seeing these things as just part of them, part of me, but no longer bypassing the feelings, you know, the scared, the, the lonely, the depressed, and not like running from it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where did that lead you, the mushroom ceremony, to next? Oh, so the mushroom ceremony was like uncovering this first trauma and started at five o'clock, the ceremony. And it ended at like three o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I just potentially remember being raped for the first time and then entering 10 years later, eight years later, a pretty abusive relationship as a result because they were literally doppelgangers of each other. So I, you know, I got up and I was scared out of my mind to get in an Uber of a strange man to drive me home at three o'clock in the morning, but I did it. And I got out of the car and went up to my apartment. And I think I was just frozen in this, like, what do I do? Who do I call? Is this true? Like what's, what's next. And so that's again, like this integration or the support of like, I wasn't going to call my mom and be like, Hey, he raped me because I, I didn't even want to believe it. You know, there's like a lot of denial. And so back to the yoga question, since I was 15, the one thing that I was able to do to get back into my body was yoga or boxing and full circle. I now understand that I created my own medicine to just like sort of heal my fight or flight trauma response through my business and also through my practice. But the next morning without any sleep, I walked up Spring Street because my I lived all the way west and my studio was east, hysterically crying. But I knew that I had to, to move. I had to do something and get back into my body. I was frozen and also just like in shock, severe shock hysterically crying, walking up Spring Street. 
just like, God, please, something, please. And literally someone grabs my arm and it's the facilitator from the night before who just happened to be having breakfast next to my studio the next morning. And it was just literal, literally an angel like coming to hold me so that I could first cry, be held, and also ask questions of like, is this real? Is this true? What does this mean? It's, it's interesting, that feeling of, of emptiness, of shock. The interesting thing is that like, it wasn't a new feeling. It was something I'd felt my whole life, but I'd just been running from. And when I mentioned COVID and shutting down my studios and the stream, et cetera, COVID happening, I mean, not to say, you know, the deaths and all the terrible things that happened, but for me personally, it was the first time in my life that I was forced to stop Mm -hmm. and surrender, complete control. And I felt very empowered teaching because I've been teaching surrender, flow through the fight, you know, for years, teaching what I needed to learn. Uh, Teaching also the doors of my studio said everything you need is inside. Teaching, find this ease through the resistance, find this dance in the boxing, in the bag, facing your fight. Teaching from a place of traumatized without knowing. Like there was, it it wasn't rooted in any story. So I was this privileged girl, you know, like running this business who learned how to fight like an animal. Mm And also flow like a gazelle, you know, in a way, but telling others what I needed to hear without having any idea what that meant. Mm -hmm. So that morning facilitator hugged me, found my mat moved, but then it was like, okay, well, what do we do about this? And so I call my best friend. I call the guy I was dating. I was like, therapist, you need to talk to someone who can talk to you about integrating this information, who has experience in trauma but like can't tell your mom. And when you call people that, you know, growing up and ask them if they remember everything, they turn it around and are like, well, now we have to figure out what to do with what you just told us. Mm-hmm. And so it's just isolation, more isolation, more isolation. And thankfully, like, I think I had enough support around me and enough wherewithal within me to hold myself. But what do you do when you wake up at 34 years old and begin remembering for the first time, first being raped at 17 by someone that your family trusted, that you trusted, and then going on this journey subsequently, because I want to heal. I'm one of those people that get shit done, right? Mm. Which is a good and not so good thing because healing isn't something you check off a list. Yeah. Done did that. Good to go. Right. Something you allow and surrender to. But, you know, I went on this journey of like finding the right people to hold me in this, be it through therapy, integration, and also like continuing on this path of like, I want to know everything. So I think that in some situations, you know, it's, it's easy to bypass a memory or to say like, okay, well, I don't need to know anything else. I know that there's a wound here and like, I want to know everything. You wanted to get to the core. I wanted to get to the core. And, you know, a year and a half later, I have grown. I have changed. I have healed. I've integrated. I am learning myself. I'm learning to tolerate myself, learning to love myself, which I think I've been learning forever. Mm -hmm. But it's on such a, there's a depth now. There's a grounded to it now. Everything has changed from my yoga practice to how I feed myself, to how I speak to myself, to how I move, to my relationships, my friendships, how I see my family, how I see my parents, how I spend my time. But in that, after that first ceremony, so that was September, 2020, you know, one-on-one assisted MDMA, psilocybin. I found a woman here who I work with one-on-one through energy breath and medicine work and ayahuasca. And I've never done it again in group settings because, um, you know, every time when I think that I'm free, it's like, yes, show me love, show me light, show me. It's almost then that I'm so surrendered that the ugliest comes out. And now I have sharper tools to handle that ugly. And now I still see myself with love in that ugly And now I know that that pain was never my pain. It was the pain that was put upon me because of other people's pain. Mm -hmm. But 
I think like high level, I was given such a gift of knowing that yoga could be helpful. And again, 110 degrees Bikram staring at my imperfections, like putting my leg behind my head and then boxing to allow me to feel strong, to face the angry that was in my belly and my gut and my heart. And then finding a way to integrate both of them, both in like a practice for balance, for duality, for the, you know, masculine and feminine sides of me, for both the ego and heart in me, the dark and the light, all of that. But also then to wake up every day and have somewhere to put all this fucking anger. It's interesting because when I used to just go boxing, I would leave boxing class and feel like untouchable, you know, like all of the adrenaline, all of the serotonin. And once that settled, I was back to where I was. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I found that when I, you know, curbed it with this flow, this breath and opposition, right? Yoga, long lengthened breath, long lengthened muscles, really an opening, uh, boxing, short, sharp exhale. Again, like Kalibati breathing, like mm-hmm. yoga, but you know, the contraction, the closing off of your body as opposed to the opening. It just, it gave me this feeling of this, just this balanced empowerment, this knowing, this grounded, but I needed both. I needed somewhere to put the anger to face myself. And then I needed a way to free myself from all of that feeling. And without that medicine, because I was never on antidepressants, like I didn't, and maybe I should have been, I was never in therapy and maybe I should have been, but I didn't know what I was working with. You no. know, I just dated or chose really self-sabotaging relationships to prove the stories I had about myself of unworthy. At some point it was like my higher self knew that boxing and yoga would save me. And if I hadn't found those modalities, I would not be here. Mm -hmm. It was the small things that set me off that felt so intense that I didn't want to be here any longer. Like this suicidal ideation that was a recurring thing in my life. And, you know, the fact that I even legitimized the depth of that hurt speaks volumes about how much I was hurting Mm -hmm. and also how well-trained I was to just be fine, be pretty and be successful and be happy and be privileged. And, you know, the masks, the costumes, the compensating for what really just was empty. Walk me through, you know, starting to do assisted therapy, MDMA assisted therapy. You know, where did you... Were you starting to do it in New York? Did you start doing it here? Yeah, I started. So I started. What's that process like? I started to do it in New York after I did this sound ceremony and this, you know, with a group. And then about a month later, I did uh, my first MDMA assisted psychotherapy with this incredible couple, a man and a female that was, we spoke on Zoom to meet before. I was introduced through the person that I was dating. So it came as like a request, uh, uh, not a request as a a referral. And we spoke on zoom and I was very wary of working with a man, even though it was a man and a woman, because I felt like I could be so triggered by, you know, someone that was older, that was similar in stature to one of my perpetrators. But the day came and I showed up and I was just ready. I was, I felt held. I felt really held. And I remember there was a moment It's interesting. I revisited this memory the other day. There was a moment before I took the medicine when we were just talking and the gentleman's name was Ed who passed away sadly of a brain aneurysm a couple months ago, but I feel him with me still. But there was a moment when I was, my my anxiety crept up on me and I was like, I don't know if I can have him in here. Like I was really scared of having a man there. And I softened into that. And the most profound thing about that journey was him feeling safe in the presence of a man. Because as I said, so many of the men that I've chosen or that I've dated, they never felt safe to me. I was playing a role. I was fitting into their story. Um, I was giving my body, you know, sex happened to me. It wasn't something I chose, even though we were in relationships or I disassociated from the experience. And in this MDMA therapy with Ed and his wife, I just felt like not all men are bad. I was safe. 
Um, and the purpose of the male and female holding space is for like the, the mother and father, like archetypes. And, um, that was really important for me because as much as my parents are so incredible and so loving, uh, they also weren't emotionally available because of their own wounding Mm -hmm. and it's not their fault. They did everything they could to keep me safe to a fault. Like I was so coddled. And uh, life had other plans for me. And I think in this knowing of higher self, of learning to box and fight and this yoga, this reintegrating into my body or trying every day, and then knowing that I was meant to service others through that medicine, um, that I needed to feel my power every day so that I could be whole. And I wanted other people to be able to feel theirs. And the irony in that is that when I started the business in 2016, until I closed the business in 2020, 2020, I had no idea that I had been raped, not once, but more times that I could ever explain to you in this podcast. Yeah. But at the same time, like what a gift that I was given this knowing so that I could then not only help to begin healing myself, but also help to heal others, whether, you know, they too felt the depth of my wounding, the depth of their own, or they just woke up and had a bad fucking day and needed to hit something. Yeah. Needed to feel their power. How many assisted therapies have you done? Wow. I used to know that number, but I would say over the past September, 2020 to it's almost June, I would say, Probably between 10 and 14. Okay. What do you think are some of the misconceptions that people have? You know, people listening might be judging, you know, what what, what do you want people to know about MDMA assisted therapy? I would say so MDMA was a part, was my entryway. Mm-hmm. And then it became more like MDMA and psilocybin. And then I love Mario, like the game. I have three okay. brothers, Nintendo. Yeah, okay, yeah. And there's something, it's just trust the fungi. Like mushrooms to me have been the most healing uh, anything. Like really, and ironically too, I don't eat mushrooms because I just think that they're supposed to be medicine for me. They don't work for me. I can't eat them as uh, a food. Yeah, you, um, you can't cook them up with eggs. and. Yeah, like it's not my vibe. I don't like the texture. Yeah. Um, but psilocybin, MDMA, like you've you see what works for you. I think that MDMA is really powerful. It boosts serotonin so that you, again, I like this word, soften, uh, surrender and allow yourself to feel in a safe way. So it's really being used in a lot of PTSD studies, particularly with veterans, trauma victims, et cetera. It's powerful. But what I've experienced is that it keeps you in your ego. What psilocybin has the power to do is to take you out of your ego so that you're purely in this other realm of subconscious. That's a good way to describe it, actually. I was trying to describe the difference between LSD and psilocybin to somebody. And I was trying to say LSD is more like visual and you feel good, but you still are kind of there. Where psilocybin can definitely, especially the higher you go, just pull you apart. Mm. And you just become potentially one with nature and can kind of be put back together with a different perspective. I feel like that's a good way of, you know, yeah, MDMA has, you're, you're still kind of there ego Yeah. It's interesting too, because like, you know, I've done these heroic doses or like the protocol for MDMA plus psilocybin. And to me, it's always been about healing. So in my relationship, which has also been really an entryway into intimacy and relationship and healing simultaneously with building trust, you know, with a man and all of that, what that looks like on our third date, we went to Mexico for five days. And for me, it wasn't about Mexico or the date. It was really this trust fall into surrendering and trusting myself that I would be okay. With that, I brought some leftover mushroom capsules that I had from a journey that, because I never take them all because I'm I'm small Mm. and I know too much is too much sometimes. Uh, and on our last day, we we had this incredible trip. And our last day, I was like, this will be fun. And I'm sitting by the pool at this incredible place in Todos Santos. And the medicine hits and my world just goes dark. Mm. 
and just trauma like just starts I close my eyes and I just start revisiting these memories and new memories and you know back to this idea of psychedelic assisted therapy or plant medicine or psychedelics I think that they're what also isn't emphasized enough regardless of set and setting so super important this is always super important but like knowing yourself and like knowing what works for you so like this medicine to me, it's, it's a healing tool. It doesn't work for me in a fun place. Like I can't be around people or pools or kids laughing or lawnmowers or great music because it's been the entryway into self. It's how I, I really hear and feel and connect to my intuition. Mm. And because I feel, I feel, I feel so deeply being in the distracted environments takes me outside of self as supposed to into myself. So it's a no-no for me. With that said, MDMA, psilocybin, ayahuasca, I guess I think those are the only things that I've done and I've done them like 10 to 14 times. Every time I do it, it's like a new layer of self. And in a recent mushroom journey, I didn't even take, I mean, mushrooms typically it's like four grams and 200 milligrams of MDMA. It's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I took like half a chocolate, which is like not even a gram at my house. And the first thing the the medicine said to me was like, it doesn't matter how much you take, we're always going to give you what you need, what you ask for. I feel that connected to like this substance, this molecule. Um, and I had one of the most profound journeys I've ever had a month ago on my kitchen floor in my apartment with like not even a gram of chocolate mushrooms that took me into the lineage ancestrally of where this trauma came from and like showing me that it wasn't mine just the deepest feelings I think I've felt maybe ever because I can now name the feelings. I can feel the feelings as opposed to just be afraid of them or depressed by them. So, you know, I don't, I think the substances are all different. Every body is different. The amounts are all different. The set and setting are different. I think it's really about surrendering first, but also feeling safe, not only where you are, but, you know, in, in yourself. Mm-hmm. What do you use for integration tools after you have these experiences? What have you found that works really well? I think part of so much part of my journey has been working with somebody who holds me in this, be it if I do the journey with her or I would like more integration, less therapy. I don't, I'm just going to say it. I no longer believe in CBT and cognitive behavioral therapy. I, I think again, that is we are speaking from our minds, from our egos, from our head. We're trying to make sense of how we feel as opposed to feeling what we feel. Mm-hmm. So I work with someone who, and these medicines that puts me out of my thinking head and into my subconscious feeling body so that I can then operate from that place. So that's been really helpful, having somebody that I can really trust. Also learning to trust myself in my feelings. But my daily practices have almost always been the same. Um, and I've gotten deeper into them. But, you know, I used to wake up every morning, New York City, 530, running on the West Side Highway in 24 degrees in the dark, in the cold, like nothing can fucking hurt me, just like pain, pain, pain. And I was running away from myself. And running is the third thing I do besides boxing and yoga, because, you know, I started with yoga and then I couldn't protect myself. So I started to fight and started to box and I still couldn't protect myself. So I just started running and I was running until COVID hit until I slowed down. So in that, when I was in New York city, in all of this, before I started this work, I would wake up and just run because I couldn't tolerate the feelings. It was too hard for me to be still because if I was in still like what, what would I feel like? Where would the thoughts go? I I don't know. It wasn't safe. Mm. And now, you know, I wake up and before I do anything, I meditate. You know, I find stillness. I journal. I write. Writing for me is the biggest therapy. It's the best therapy. As I said, I write a blog and I'm working on a memoir and it's, it's a way for me to feel my feelings. And it's a lot of drafts, just like this healing. It's a lot of layers so that I can come through all of these things and often a lot of confusion to come back to like, okay, this is what it is. I can release it now. And a lot of the releasing has been like releasing the stories, releasing the people, releasing the pain that uh, wasn't my pain, you know, layer by layer. So meditate, stillness, journal, pray. Like I think, I not think, I, f- I know there's a higher power. I know there's someone holding me and I know that I am more connected to that than ever, be it religious or spiritual or all of the above. 
I feel guided. I feel held. I feel safe in me, with me. I've never really felt that way before. I, I think I, because I never felt safe, I was always running and it was really about building a home within me. And the first time I ever felt that was in my first apartment in Austin when I moved here. And that was just a, a parallel to how I was feeling personally. So what would you say for people listening that they're in the place that you were in, that you didn't know you experienced trauma, you're running from yourself, you're not feeling your feelings. What are potential clues that they may be in that place? How can they be introspective listening to this in this moment? So one more thing that has been just like such a huge part of my practice every day has been the physical movement. And I think that I've gotten a lot of feedback of like, through your story, I've realized that I am moving to distract myself. I'm moving because I'm dissociated from my body or I'm stuck because I'm frozen in this. So I would say for people who have experienced or don't know they've experienced trauma, we've all experienced something. There's stuck energy in our bodies. I think movement is incredibly powerful to move ourselves out of our way. Like for as long as I've remembered, every morning I wake up part of a practice and I take a photo of my feet. This was like sneakers on. And I typically with like a quote of something I need to hear, some inspiration for myself. But the photo is really to symbolize that what happened yesterday is in the past. What happens from here is out of my control. The only thing I have is this moment. So starting from where I am. So I'm not my, my trauma. I'm not my pain. I'm not my success. I'm not my failure. I'm not my body. <laughs> I'm not my stories. I'm not my business. I'm not my boyfriend, my relationship. I'm not my shoes, my things. I'm just me. And I think that once we distill what that means, the me means, like we ideally come to this place of we are worthy simply because we are. And so often trauma disguises that. So what are some signs? Like, how do you speak to yourself? You know, is there any like sense of of love, of of worthiness? Who do you surround yourself with? Are you always seeking outside of yourself for advice or can you trust yourself? How do you move or do you not move? You feel stuck. You feel stuck in your relationship, in your work, in your body. How do you, you know, feed yourself? Are you fueling yourself forward or are you filling the empty, the extra? Mm -hmm. Like all of these things manifest as distractions, overworking, not working, you know, drive, overdrive, how we move our bodies. Do we move too much? Not enough. How we feed ourselves, like in moments of anxiety, like what do we reach for first? Is it the dating app? Is it the beer? Is it the food? Is it, you know, the parents to hold us? Or can we just tolerate ourselves as we are without defining ourselves by the hurt, the pain, or the overcompensating of like, I am so great because I went to this college and have this much money. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's hard too. I'm not going to say it's not because we live in a, a very surfaced world, a very two dimensional world. And it's just, it's becoming more heightened. You know, there's so much definition through the amount of followers and likes, what we look like, who we're with, what we have. And I find myself stuck in it often, whether like I you know, fall into that and then feel unworthy because I don't have that or wanting to detach completely from it and, you know, move to a ranch in the middle of podunk so that I don't have to be around it. Mm -hmm. And I think the goal, my goal is back to this, my, my business, it's called box and flow back to this idea of like really finding ease through resistance, finding the flow through the fight, because we all have a fight. Some it's bigger than others, you know, some, uh, is not yet revealed to us, but we wake up every day and we can choose ourselves or we can choose outside of ourselves. We can be for us or against us. We can flow with us or fight against us. You know, and I think the tool there is about facing what the feeling is, like facing ourselves to find that freedom. And it's not, it's not like an end goal. It's not a finish line. It's, it's an everyday thing. And back to your question on like how, or, you know, again, physicality has been a huge part of my journey because having been dissociated from my body, my whole life, getting back into my body has been, um, 
the greatest privilege and also the biggest challenge. And when I say getting back into my body, that means like, how do I feed myself? What is my body hungry for? You know, who is my body hungry for? How do we want to move today? What do we want to wear? Like intimacy, feeling safe, you know, in sexual intimacy in my own body, all of these things. And the other day or yesterday I woke up and I, for the first time in a long time, I didn't think about how much time I had or where I was going. And I surrendered. And by surrendering, that meant it didn't matter how fast or how far. And because I let go of that, I ran 10 miles. Like it was one of those things, like when we stop putting limitations in ourselves or boundaries or, you know, what we should do or what we have to do, like the possibility is endless. And I think that is so replicated by how we define ourselves. Like we're so quick to say like, oh, well, I'm a mom and I'm a wife and I'm an entrepreneur and I'm, is that really who you are? It's similar to like, how are you? Well, I'm fine. Like, is that really how you are? You know, what if we could just fucking say what we felt and not feel the need to define ourselves by, you know, a two-dimensional screen or by our trauma? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being so open and sharing all that. I would love to continue, but we'll have to save that for another day. You got it. How do people connect with you? Uh, I would say that I'm on Instagram as Liv Young, L-I-V-Y-O-U-N-G, which is kind of ironic because this idea of living, being alive, I think for the majority of my life, I felt dead inside. And mm. I didn't even know my name was Liv because no one called me that. And now I feel like I can finally live and maybe thrive. Um, it's truth and then my blog is liveyoung.co so I write a blog and I'm a coach and boxandflow.com more on that story another time and where we're gonna that is um, it's ripe to be re re uh, re enlivened in a way that is servicing the vast majority of humans that are open to feel something I'm excited uh, I'm a big fan of I do a Muay Thai myself, so I'm very connected to the boxing and releasing that that kind of energy you get from the flow you get from fighting. Yeah, yeah. and then refilling in the vinyasa and then shavasana mm. to die and begin again. Yeah, it's the sukha and stira. Sukha is sweetness, gentleness, stillness, and stira in yoga is the strength, the power. It's the balance between the two. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, thank- with you. I'm with you. <laughs> well, I'm excited. Hopefully you open a studio or something and uh thank you so much for being here of course my pleasure thank you for having me you're welcome Livia thanks for being on the podcast and being vulnerable sharing your story I know it cannot be easy excited for you to open a studio hopefully here in Austin that would be awesome big fan of boxing kickboxing Muay Thai has been a big part of my life I have a giant Muay Thai Sakyant tattoo on the side of my ribs, so it is near and dear to my heart. If you, in your gut, your heart, your intuition, are curious, is there trauma in my past that I've been wanting to heal? And maybe psychedelics could be a way of helping uncover and move through that to unlock a better life. What I want you to be aware of is things will start to come to you. People will bring recommendations just like Olivia experienced in her life. But when you get these recommendations, really do your research on the facilitator, on the integration process, and see if you've known people who've gone through the process and interview them on their experience and what they've gotten out of it. It's very important that you're not just joining a group of hippies that are doing psychedelics and playing music and then leave you with all these things that have been uncovered in your psyche to figure it out yourself. Find trusted healers, get recommendations from friends and people who've gone through the experience and know their stuff, and definitely do your own research. All right, guys, thank you again for listening to this episode. Again, please subscribe to the podcast. You can do so by following and texting 512-488-4223. Again, that's 512-488-4223. And you'll get podcasts sent directly to you. And again, if you have podcast episodes you want to hear, feel free to reach out, DMs 
on Instagram, Bodies by Brent ATX, or TikTok, Bodies by Brent. I had a couple people reach out uh, requesting certain types of podcast episodes, and we're definitely going to do that. Next week, we're going to have uh, a roundtable, round-robin discussion of personal trainers answering your questions. So if you want more episodes like this or other episodes you've heard in the past, hit me up. Always hit me up. You can also email me, brent at bodiesbybrent.com, and we will keep producing stuff to help you reach your fitness, health, and lifestyle goals. All right, guys, you'll hear me next week.